Welcome to That 30 Show, a podcast where we talk about the good, the bad, and the surprising parts of our 30s. I'm G, and I'm finally 30. I'm excited to find out if 30 really is the new 20, because if it is, then the best years are yet to come. And I'm David. I'm entering my mid-30s. I used to have no back pain or trouble sleeping, but now I live off a healthy diet of self-help books and dream of being in bed by 10pm every night. Join us each week as we try to figure out together what life in your 30s is all about. So welcome back to that 30 show. For those who are wondering, G is taking one more week to recover from her vacation. But that's okay. Don't don't panic everyone. It's not just going to be me this week. I have on honestly one of my best friends. Oh. Um how long have we known each other, Preet? Um we've known of each other I think since 2015. Maybe we became friends like that summer of 2015, I think. Ooh, summer of yeah. 2015. <laughs> sounds like <laughs> sounds like a soundtrack or something. But I don't know uh Preet, did you have a chance to listen to my last episode, uh, the one where I went on and on about your concussion? Horrible. Life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I listened every you episode. Did? Okay, so remember I talked about my concussion diet. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually an entry or two here where I mention you, yeah. and I thought I would start sharing to you know the the our small audience here a bit about who you are and and our okay. friendship by referencing that because I don't think you know. I don't. I haven't mentioned this to you either. All right, November twenty second, twenty eighteen. The highlight of that day I wrote down was going to black and blue for the first time, albeit just for happy hour. Oh my gosh. What do you remember about that? Um, so interesting because I was, I was just thinking about this last night because um, I knew we were talking today. And um, I was kind of thinking about my story going throughout my journal and, you know, reflecting back on life. And that dinner or that happy hour at black and blue was a significant part of my story, or I think it started my healing journey. And I had been telling you asked me how I was doing. And I had been telling you, you know, how I was doing. And I kind of moved on to to the hummus and the cucumbers and like moved on with life, right. (laughs) And you, the way you reacted or responded to what I had to say, you were the first person that was like, Preet, like, I think you might be depressed. Do you remember that? I remember that we were both like, yeah. <laughs> at that point, I don't remember saying that line per se, but I, I do. Re- I do remember like, because I was just coming from one of my, I think, counselor sessions mm-hmm. where my counselor was like, "You have depression." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" They're like, "Yes, here are your yeah. symptoms." And I'm like, "Okay, thank yeah. you." To answer your question, I'll, I'll share my my next line okay. in my diary, which is what I was grateful for or happy mm-hmm. about. And then I said, I wrote down here, "I'm grateful I found a friend like Preet during these times when I can share my mental health woes." and understand me. I felt safe to share that with you because I know that you were, uh, yeah, also, as you just mentioned, perhaps struggling a little Mm -hmm. bit at that time in life. And uh, it was a nice, nice moment. Because it's it's hard, right? Like, I think it's so hard. It takes a lot of courage for people to share with someone your struggles, whether it's mental health or anything else, or even if you like lost your job, Mm -hmm. right? And then you're talking to someone who's gainfully employed. And it, it's, it feels a bit embarrassing because the other person's like, well, sucks to be you. I mean, obviously, if you have a good friend, then no. I'll do that. But you always feel vulnerable in sharing something that the other person may not be able to relate mm-hmm. to. 
yeah, so that was uh, something I saw in my diary that I thought, hey, I should mention that as, but we're not actually, I mean, we can go into that yeah. as much as you want, Preet, in terms of your story today. But one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on, Pri, and, and, and you know this, we chat about this, is because you've had the most eclectic, <laughs> I don't know, a, a smorgasbord of like career experiences. You have this deep experience with policy, obviously, policy analysis, mm -hmm. especially from a sort of an indigenous uh, or First Nations informed lens. And then you went from that, you know, from governments and, and, and policy analysis, indigenous work, to like having a stint in the music industry where you like, that's a huge part of your life. You love yeah. music. You're super passionate about it. You're, you're working with like producers and something at one point. And then you also had a stint in, in with a political party. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to mention any specifics, but like, you, yeah, you had a, a political life at one point. And then you started your own company as a consultant. And then you've worked for nonprofits. You've worked for like the CPA association. <laughs> so as one of the things that I was talking to a friend about, like her feedback on the podcast, and, there, and she's like, well, one of the things that's really relevant for people in your 30s is career because your 30s is kind of the last decade that you can potentially still restart your career mm -hmm. and it's not too late to do it uh, in terms of maybe if you're uh, having kids or settle, settling down, you have less ability to take risks. This is really the last decade potentially, or maybe some people will already feel it is already too late. But certainly this idea that, oh, can I still be bold mm -hmm. to restart my career, to change my job, to change my path, to try something new? And you have tried something new time and time again. And I think that's such an interesting story. So hopefully we can learn more about that today. Sure, yeah, uh, that just like stressed me out hearing all that. Really? Why? Just, just reminding just you of reminding your me crazy... Oh, um, you know, it sounds kind of cool. Like, oh, you know, I've got this experience and this, that and the other. But like, wow, life was really chaotic for a really, really long time. So... I'm a much more relaxed and peaceful person who doesn't really focus much on career these days. And so to be reminded of the person that I used to be, like, I don't know, it's a little off-putting in some ways. That's so interesting that you're, you're saying now that, oh, you're someone who doesn't really focus on yeah. career as much. I, I think I kind of know that, but I don't, I, I think it's a reminder for me because, yeah, a, a big part of my impression and perception mm -hmm. of, of you throughout these years is this like career alpha female you know like going for job after job trying to get better mm -hmm. jobs or I, I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that a bit but yeah I, I was gonna share a bit about like who you are as a, as a person as a friend yeah. I mentioned like you're a huge music person you love concerts I think we'll get into this but you recently moved to Toronto mm -hmm. and I feel like you're going to a concert like every two weeks or something um, at least once a month at least once yeah. a month that's a lot yeah. what artists have you recently gone to and are uh, seeing uh, in the next half year or so well, I got to Toronto in February. The first concert then was Dylan Sinclair. He's an R&B singer from Toronto. Um, not a huge name yet, but I, I think is definitely getting there. March, I think. Oh, March, I saw Ari Lennox. Again, R&B soul. Yeah. April. <laughs> see a pattern. Uh, April, I saw Division. Um, again, R&B. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> April, <laughs> May, I'm seeing Adri Adria Kane. She's, again, another local Toronto artist. She's amazing like somebody youtube her like if you're listening she's just amazing june i am seeing john vinyl he's another local toronto artist 
Well, you so you know a lot of local like indie artists. Yeah, I used to. I guess you take the time to discover people somehow. Like you don't just listen to the you know the, the top hits. Obviously. Yeah, I I spend a lot of time just you know learning and looking and digging for new music. So yeah, that's that's in June, and then July is Beyonce. Oh. And wait, I got I got to ask, how much that that did uh, that? Um, three hundred and fifty eight dollars. Oh sh. Oh. And it oh, it's a lot. Oh. I'm, I'm st- oh, I need f- at least five minutes to recover from that. <laughs> I know, like it's a lot, but it's Beyonce, and so I just I, I wasn't really thinking. Like I, I got it. Like getting concert tickets these days is really really difficult. Get, even get into the queue and then be able to like look through tickets and pick tickets. I just literally I clicked on the cheapest ones right away. I didn't even think about the section or anything. I just clicked it, I purchased it, and it was it was done, and I got them. So will you take offense to the claim that Beyonce is overrated? I, I just, I, I refuse to engage in that. <laughs> I just refuse. You're just not even going to try and... Dip- no, I mean, you have your opinions, people have their opinions, I have my own, and, and I'm, yeah. you know, I will gladly spend $358 to see Beyonce, so... Well, I think in the approach that you have to music in terms of like discovering and like trying new artists and stuff, mm-hmm. is that an- at all sort of analogous to how you feel you've approached your career? Uh, maybe not like right now, but like certainly in the, for the past decade, you're, 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 you've been discovering yeah. and trying new things. And maybe can you tell us a little bit about your career path? Because I think that's the uh, what we want to spend mm-hmm. a lot of the time on today is learning about that. And for people who might think like, like me, I, anyone who knows me knows that I've been working for the same employer for over fucking a decade yeah. now. And a lot of friends that know me, they're like, David, get the hell out of there. Please. Not, not because there's anything <laughs> wrong per se, but it's just like the world is your oyster. Like try something new. But I am so scared of like leaving that comfort zone, leaving those golden handcuffs, if you mm-hmm. will, of that public sector uh, sort of employer with my pension plan and my yeah. you know, six seven weeks of vacation, yeah. but you certainly haven't shied away from that. So did I miss anything earlier when I when I mentioned some of your your greatest hits? You missed a couple of things, but I, I think you know it doesn't really matter too much. Um, if I think about my career path, I think I can probably start with like my first kind of real job, and like that story kind of covers the theme of my life for the past five years um my first job like post undergrad you kind of mentioned this was a political leadership campaign i pursued that because i thought you know this person's vision was really compelling and funny enough i had actually been applying to jobs in toronto just a bunch of random like policy jobs um because that's kind of what is what i studied but i just never heard back so i thought like uh why not give this a go so i committed to that for you know longer than i probably should have because I came out of it really depressed and like bedridden for like three months. <laughs> uh, and I think anyone that's worked in politics or like, even if you've seen a political drama on like Netflix or something, you'll know how yeah. soul sucking and toxic that type of work uh, can be. For me, like I was a bit naive getting into it. I was just really, really passionate and excited. You had that Obama hope. Uh, the Yes, we strange. can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, very much so. But <laughs> once I kind of realized what it was or what was actually going on, I it felt like it was too late. I, was, I felt too attached to the outcome or to what I had started or the reason that I joined. So like I wanted to see it through and I did see it through. 
but there was so much more work to do to sort of keep the momentum of our success going. And there was like, you know, like great promise in continuing had I just shut up and followed direction. But I am someone like who cannot do anything that I don't agree with or that doesn't excite me anymore. And there was a lot I just didn't agree with. So I tried to voice that, but I didn't really feel like it was well received. So at that time, like I had to make what was a pretty like heartbreaking decision for me just to walk away. And that's sort of been the big theme career wise for me for the last five years. Like if I'm not feeling it, feeling it anymore, if I'm not into it, if it doesn't feel right, like I just have to walk away and, and look for something better. So you walk away when, when the feeling's not right. Do you want to elaborate on that at all in terms of like, because a lot of people struggle with knowing when it's the right time to take the risk mm -hmm. and the leap of faith to quit and try something new, especially when, like when you quit, for example, is there something waiting for you that is another steady financial job? So with that campaign, I hadn't been searching for anything else. Like, again, anybody that's worked in politics too knows that the pay is absolute shit. So I wasn't really making much money at all. But I was just extremely enthusiastic and passionate. And I just kind of made it work. I put everything, all of me, blood, sweat, and tears into that, and there was no backup plan. It, I was I was absolutely committed to seeing it through until I got to a point where it just kind of broke me. I felt like I had completely lost the essence of who I was, and so I just had to pull out, and I can't quite articulate what I was feeling at the time. It's something more in my body that like, my body would not allow me to take one step further. And so mm. it was a debilitating experience in many ways. And I just had to kind of listen to that and, and get in tune with my body. And I, I, I quit. And that's why like, I was in bed quite literally like for like three months afterwards because I had no ability or motivation or drive to actually step into the world. So long story short, and uh, probably TMI, but like I, I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have another job lined up. I just had to exist for a while. And, um, you know, after a while of like not working, <laughs> you know, um, you need work, you need finances to kind of continue going on in life. So I had just started to applying jobs, I really had no motivation or desire, I didn't really know what I was looking for. But it was more so about ease and what was accessible and what could I easily make happen. I applied to this, you know, job in Victoria, it was, it was a fine job, but like it was, I was working as a legislative assistant and mm -hmm. it wasn't political at all, but it was like the boring side of government, like drafting proclamations and orders in council and like other legislative documents. And I just pursued that because I knew I had the background and experience to land the job. And I did land the job. Right, right. I was going to ask about that. Uh, and I think you just answered my yeah. question here. But like, for a lot of people, there's a antagonistic relationship between trying to find work that you're qualified mm -hmm. for versus tr trying to find work that you just truly want to do. And if you're lucky, I think those two will coincide. Yeah. But oftentimes, it's an imperfect marriage of those two factors. And I think for most people, you have to sort of default to finding what you are qualified for, even if it's not necessarily your dream job, or it doesn't have to be your dream job, but like even if it's not necessarily something you want to do for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So for you in that moment, after not working for a uh, few months, in terms of how you decided what 
to apply for, you just looked at your your, your resume, you looked at your experience, like, okay, what is my skill set? Mm-hmm. What is my education? Where where were my internships before? Yeah. What job can I get with this experience? Yeah. Not so much like what's going to ignite my soul and spirit. <laughs> no, not at that time. So how did that how did that work then? Was it better than you expected? Was it exactly what you expected? And I guess ultimately, why did you leave that job too? I think that job was exactly what I expected it to be. I think working in government is working in government. Um, <laughs> you know. What does, that, what does that mean? Because a lot of people who are listening don't have any idea yeah. about government or what that even looks like. Um, <laughs> I feel I, I just want to say that like everything you hear about working in government is true. It's it's mundane. It's boring. It's slow. It's lacking innovation. It's unchallenging. It's draining. It's just a complete bore, at least for me. I should, I should have, we should have G oh, on just shit. for this segment because she, she works with the girl. My bad. Sorry, G. <laughs> Look, listen, I know that it varies across departments, right? That's, that's a perfectly valid opinion, right? Because like when it comes to this stuff, it, one person's love could be another person. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you love R&B soul concert yeah. music. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't make one yeah. right or wrong. So I think, you know, lean into it. Okay. It's fine. So ultimately, uh, what led you to leave that job too? Right. I think I was just, I needed to be out in the world and be able to kind of receive my motivation or let it land or let it come to me or let, let it find me. And by being in bed all day, um, going broke or by the second, like that wasn't going to happen. So I had to get myself out of the house and into a new environment to, to sort of yeah. open myself up to receive that. And then while I was yeah, there... Yeah. I would get, you know, access to like internal job postings all the time. And I was kind of looking at those and I would see the type of jobs like, you know, that would interest me or like that I would want to go for. Um, But at that time I knew like I was missing that credential, right? Like usually like I was into like policy analysis at that time. And you can sort of land, you can land a job in policy without a master's degree, but a master's degree like definitely makes it a lot easier to get. So I knew that had to be the next move. I can say this now at the time, like I didn't really know like how depressed I really was, but I, I like I was very much depressed and I went into that program just knowing that like I need to get in and out. I need that credential and I'm out. Can I ask, because uh, you, you've mentioned it once yeah. or twice here, uh, so I assume it's it's okay to at least touch yeah. on you're, you're struggling a little bit emotionally yourself, uh, mental health wise during that time in your mm-hmm. life. Um, you've at some point started to seek professional mm-hmm. uh, help with that. Uh, can I, yeah, yeah. And, and, and when did that, when did that start for you? Was it before, or after the, the masters? Um, it was during the masters actually. I, the reason I want to touch upon this is because I am, um, such a big, I, I know so many people like, like you and, and, and my sister, mm-hmm. right. Who have, benefited so much from it and it and i think to this day it, there's still some stigma around it Definitely. So anytime i can share a positive story about it I, I want to and that's why i'm asking yeah. so did that help you like right away or did it not like did it take some time before it really helped well it definitely took some time and so you said we were at black and blue in like november 2018 so yes. i think that's when you and i had that conversation about depression a little bit more in depth and I think you had encouraged me to like see a psychiatrist or see someone and I thought you know David like you're right like shit is pretty bad (laughs) I what I remember feeling at that time was just being unable to function like I couldn't get my work done and that was 
the main cause. I wasn't really thinking about mental health or how I was feeling or, you know, emotions, none of that. It was just like, oh, I can't do the shit that I need to do. And so I think that is when I went and saw a psychiatrist um, with the goal of like getting some medication to like put me back in tune <laughs> just so I could get through this program. And that that's very much like the attitude I went in. Um, you know, saying like, hey, like, I'm not able to function at work, I'm not able to function at school, I need to get through this program, Uh, life's really hard. Very quickly, like she prescribed me these antidepressants, and I took them. And it was kind of a secret, because like, nobody in my family, like really talks about mental health or in my friend circle, like, it wasn't really a thing. So I kind of just, you know, Mm -hmm. They start you off on the lowest dose. I took that. I felt kind of an instant like, oh, like I, I'm feeling better. Like I feel more alert. This is nice. And that only lasted for so long. Uh, I had to continue going back and like upping the dose um, to a point where like I maxed it out. And so that in itself was a very like defeating experience. Um, I kind of felt like yeah, I was carrying this like thought with me, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why aren't I normal? Like, why can't I do this? Why is it so easy for the rest of my cohort to just hand in this assignment when I had to hand in a bullet point form essay, just because I literally had no capacity to draft together sentences. And so for me, I got to a point where I was kind of like, fuck this. I'm I'm not allowed to swear. Yes, yes, you can. (laughs) So I got to a point where I was like, fuck this it's not working or it's not doing what I needed to do. And I think although the antidepressants kind of helped with me being a little bit more alert and more focused, I felt completely numb in life. I I had really no feeling or desire or like want to like really participate in life. So I just decided one day that I was going to, you know, get off of them, like cold turkey, like I was over it. This is just not working for me. Let me try like counseling or something. And I got paired with like two different counselors. Like the one was really good, but it was just like a somebody that you call on like an emergency basis. And like she just happened to answer and I talked to her and she was great. And the person that I started seeing regularly she wasn't very good at the job. So I'm like, okay, like, I feel like I am smarter than you. And I know more than you and I can handle this on my own. Goodbye. And so I kind of just, you know, fucked off from that again for a while. And I think it was really like when closer to like when I was finishing my master's program, that I felt like, you know, this deep sense of like emptiness, And I was finally in a place where I had some time to like actually think about what I might be missing or what I might be wanting. And I decided like I was going to give therapy like a genuine go. So it took me a little while to like find a therapist that worked for me. But when I did, um, it was the probably the best thing that could ever happen to me. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm glad that you found someone that works and that it's been uh, certainly not a linear path mm-hmm. uh, af- after that, but I, I'm sure that it has been a huge help for you to yeah move on and, and, and live the life that you want. The conversation today, the larger conversation about career and changing jobs, when we were brainstorming what we would want to talk about, you came up with the, this phrase, which is that your life career-wise especially has been sort of almost like a uh, quote-unquote radical person. <laughs> Joy. Yeah, <laughs> and and if you think about the word joy, that's a huge juxtaposition to depression. Yeah, and so mental health is almost very hand in hand with your career choices. Because if you're not happy with your career, mm-hmm. chances are you're not happy with your with your life. Because your your job 
is the majority of the time that you spend with your life. Yeah, with the career and happiness sort of going hand in hand, I, I agree to that with, or I agree to it to, to an extent. If I think about my journey personally and, and what I've been through as like child pre to like teen pre to adult pre, I think I overemphasized my career or I, I sought joy and fulfillment from my career because it's the only place where I thought I could get it. And, you know, I don't want to like share my whole like story, but basically growing up, I didn't get a lot of validation or a lot of tension or a lot of I didn't really feel seen growing up. And the first time I did feel seen was really through work. And that's where I felt valued. And like, I was actually making a contribution and that, you know, people valued me. Uh, so I think a taste of that sort of validation and positive attention was really addicting for me and was so new and so exciting for me. I hadn't really felt that in my life before. So it just, I think there was something that happened in my brain where I connected my career with the joy and happiness that I had been seeking for most of my life at that point. And so that kind of led me to this chaotic journey of like, oh wait, this actually, I'm three months in and I'm not happier. What's going on? I have to find the next best thing. And so that kind of formed my motivation to keep going and keep searching within the career space. And we can talk a little bit more about this, but like to sum it up, I had to step outside of that space to recognize what joy and happiness really meant for me. I, I love that you were able to understand that about yourself. It's taken some time. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's very, very profound mm. in, in a very, uh, authentic and sincere and personal way and i'm very happy for you that you have come to this understanding of yourself that's a, such an interesting point like we i come in here uh wanting to know about your career and like you're like this badass <laughs> you know, your your resume is just employers are lining up for it it's like this evolution mm -hmm. where you go from being really good at getting jobs that you want and then the final step and then transcend like to transcend this ultimately is to like not even need the career. Yeah. And I think that's such a I don't know what the word is, but it, it's it's a very liberating and transformative uh, revelation for you. And maybe that's not the case for everyone. Maybe some people have a healthy relationship finding joy in their <laughs> work, but that hasn't worked for 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 you. So Tell me more about that final step about realizing that you were trying to seek joy in the work. What are the next steps you took to make that relationship more healthy mm -hmm. for you? I guess it was, I think like the summer of 2021. Within that year alone, or within the past six months, I had already switched two jobs. So I was doing something in the fall of 2020. And then I was like, eh, not for me within like two months, moved on to something bigger and better, um, like February, 2021. And then I was like, uh, actually, like this is, this is not really fitting. <laughs> and that's when I felt like the most chaotic and crazy because it was just like, I remember like, you know, having like lunch with you or another friend and just saying like, oh, by the way, like I'm doing this now. And it was kind of like, what? Like you just started this and you were so excited, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, yeah, I re- I remember that yeah. so much. Like it's like you could not hold down a job, and I'm not here yeah. to judge, obviously. Yeah. But certainly, there's a part of me. It's not judging. It's part of me is like, what's going on? What's going? What's going? What's going on? Truly, <laughs> these are good. These are good jobs. Yeah, you are working at like a think yeah. tank, a, a policy think tank, where it's the nirvana for mm-hmm. any policy <laughs> aficionados and and career people. Yeah, you were you were there. You were you were at the Mount Everest of policy work, and you were like, oh, I'm leaving. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I was getting to. Like that was what I was doing in like the summer of uh, 2021. You know, I remember like telling you these things like, David, like I've made it like this is this was the dream. Like this is what I wanted, or at least, you know, at the time, it's what I thought I wanted working on this incredible research project. I wasn't meant to be in charge, but like, I don't know, the team had kind of fell apart. And so I was all of a sudden like in charge of the project or like the lead researcher on the project and the project manager at the same time. And, you know, it. It wasn't really what I signed up for, but to a regular person, I think they would just take advantage of the moment because not only was it a great opportunity like for the resume, it was the highest paying job for me. Um, I was making really great money and I probably won't see that type of money again for at, like, at least another like four or five years into my career at this point. But there was like my body gave up, my, like there was some sort of rebellion and it, it's kind of like twofold. For one... I wasn't prepared for all that they were asking of me and I didn't have really the skill or the the words or the know-how to articulate or express that hey what you're asking for me is unreasonable when they gave me like something to do and it was a wild set of expectations that was completely out of touch I didn't know that I could say that um, to them or like express that like, Hey, you know, you've selected me as your lead, like based on my opinion, this is not doable within this time frame. blah, blah, blah. I just didn't have like the confidence or capacity to even think that far about saying that, but also, yeah, like the confidence to actually articulate that. So I became like really, really stressed with all these expectations. And I remember like texting you like this huge paragraph, like David, like it's not working. I can't do it. I'm going to quit. I, I just, I, I can't give notice. I have to quit. Like, I'm just sending the email right now. This is the email. And that's what I did. And that's like, I quit. Do you think you burned the bridge there? Yes. Yeah. And so I had a lot of regret in how that kind of unfolded. Well, I I asked that because a lot of times people in similar positions will not do that Mm -hmm. because they want to manage that bridge more for Mm -hmm. for potential future future things. It seems like time and time again, you're just doing the thing that a lot of people want, mm-hmm. but don't have the courage to do. Like for me, I have a comfortable, good paying job mm-hmm. and it's not my favorite thing to do in the world, but I'm like, well, it's good money. I can't walk away from this. Oh, Preet walked away from it. <laughs> walked away from good money. I like framing it as courageous because it, you know, sounds better and I can feel, okay, it is, you it know, is. a little proud of myself that way. <laughs> But yeah, at yeah, the yeah, time, yeah. like that wasn't my frame of mind that I'm acting with courage or I'm acting boldly or I'm doing something to I'm like sticking to my convictions in past jobs. Sure. Like that was definitely the case. But with this one in particular, it was almost like this gross desperation and disgust and inability. Like what matters more, like being able to speak a sentence or like write a sentence or like exist in the world or try to finish this research project 
if if I might ask, so I think you have a very, uh, unfortunately, so I suppose, a very intimate and personal relationship and experience with depression mm-hmm. and and everything that comes with that. But on the other side of that is is joy. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we're calling this conversation your radical pursuits of joy. Yeah. So what is joy for you? Joy for me, after all of these years and this like search for it, I think joy for me is kind of simple. And it's really about participating in life, actively participating in life. And for many years, I wasn't doing that. So I've been consciously on this pursuit for for like the past three years. And like I mentioned earlier, like three years ago is actually when I started therapy, which in in a sense felt radical in itself. Like nobody around me, not my family, nor my friends had ever gone to therapy or even talked about mental health really. And so... You know, I think in that first or second session with my therapist, I I told her that I wanted to feel joy. I told her about this Party Next Door song um, that I would constantly listen to. It's called Joy. And he basically goes, um, I want to feel joy. Like, let me be it. Let me see it. Let me let me find my joy as if he's like pleading for it. And so, you know, through therapy and just through life in general, I've really had to force myself to like, step into this more honest and vulnerable place to explore what joy really looks like for me. And, you know, long story short, it's really the reason why I'm in Toronto now. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do do you want to, so the context here is that Preet has born and raised in Vancouver. Uh, Yeah, sorry. Were you born? Sorry, yeah, yeah, the greater Vancouver. And you've always gone to Toronto for like concerts, for temporary stints, and, and you always love let's put it this way i know you've always wanted to leave mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like just not every time we meet up you're like this is yeah. not this is not it i'm not, not feeling it, it. Uh, like fuck it. this place <laughs> why because vancouver a lot of people love vancouver mm-hmm. and again there's no right or wrong opinion it's just an opinion yeah. right so let me just go, why why have you always wanted to leave vancouver i mean speaking of courage mm-hmm. earlier like i think one of the most courageous things that you've ever done is move to toronto and maybe mm-hmm. listeners will not really understand why but maybe you can unpack that for us. So why do you want to leave Vancouver and why was it such a courageous move for you? Vancouver, you know, I never really felt at home. I think it's a boring city. Again, my opinion. Like, even if you're living in the heart of downtown, which is a fucking ghost town, it's because you want to be able to, like, bike the seawall every day or, like, drive up to Mount Seymour and go snowboarding. And, yeah, like, the nature of the mountains, all of that is stunning. And, you know, Toronto does not compare in that respect, like zero out of 10 for Toronto. But like, that's just not my lifestyle and not what I like to do. And Toronto has more of what I like to do. So like the arts, culture, music, and just um, a vibrant like city life and genuine diversity versus like segregation that you see all over Vancouver. (laughs) Um, But the reason like it took me so long to make this move was really because of fear. I've known since 2016 that like Toronto is where I wanted to be. But, you know, there's the general fears of like committing to like, or like the logistical fears of like making this move and relocate, relocating, you know, questions like what if it doesn't work out? What if I end up hating it? Like, what if I can't afford it? Oh my God, what if I get evicted? What if I lose my job? All of that was very alive and well for me every day for like for- probably like at least every day for like all those years since 2016. I'm not very good at math, but I think that's like five-ish years. Um, But there's two like heavier and I think more debilitating fears that I had. And 
the first one was around like family and like cultural expectations in South Asian households. Like you do not move out of your parents' house, especially if you're a girl. There's only one acceptable reason for moving out and that's marriage. Uh, and sometimes you can finesse a move, like an acceptable move, like for your career. Like I'd done that in the past for like co-op jobs. Um, I went to like Ottawa and uh, Calgary, but with that, it was always like, oh, like mom, dad, it's just four months. Like, you know, this is what's going to help me get a job after graduation. You know how like competitive the market is like, don't worry, BRB. Um, <laughs> but this time like was different, right? Because there was no like crutch for me to like to say like, oh, I had this amazing job opportunity waiting for me. Uh, so having to tell my parents that, hey, mom and dad, um, I'm unhappy and I think Toronto might make me happier. Like I knew that wasn't going to land well, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that was like one of the major fears that I had. And then the second one kind of linked, but more so like linked to my own self-worth. So a majority of my life, I would say I lived it like pretty passively, very accommodating of my family, accommodating of my friends, not really letting me be me or like just being afraid to step into me and, and be seen. Mm. Uh, so making a move like this, it required me to be bold and loud and visible and to be able to express like my wants and desires. And it has taken years of therapy for me to sort of get there as I grappled with the fear like of making this decision, knowing full well this whole time since 2016 that it was exactly what I needed to do, my therapist would always ask me, like, pre, like, how good can you take it? And I was afraid that I didn't deserve for life to be this good. And, you know, I made a trip to Toronto in October last year, and I had such a lovely time, as I always do, you know this. I think you just reach a point of like being so unhappy that you're like disgusted with yourself and disgusted by that emotion. And you, you want to like yeah. just get rid of it. And I knew like at that time, like when I was there, I was here like for four days, maybe three and a half. I just had a moment with myself, like, pre like, you know, what feels good for you. And you've been ignoring that or fighting that for all these years but like how much longer, like at that moment, I felt like I couldn't even take a day longer and I just decided it had to be now. So, you know, that was in October and three months later, I, I was in Toronto. Um, that resonates with me quite a lot, to be honest, because I am often disgusted with myself. Mm. As in like, I'm sick of, yeah. I'm sick of, not, I'm not on Vancouver for me, for me. What I'm sick of is my lack of discipline that gets in the way of living the best life I know I can and want to live. Yeah. And that, that thing that you mentioned, it resonates with that phrase, that sentence, that, that feeling that you, that you articulated, like what you're asking yourself, when is this too mm -hmm. much? As in, when is this going to stop? How much longer are you going to put up with this shit? Pre? Mm -hmm. And um, for me, it's like, how much longer are you going to put up this statement? Like, when are you going to do something about it? Because you, you can, you know what it is. And for me, it's, you know, not being addicted to social media. It's, it's not sleeping late. It's getting up early. It's getting the exercise I want. Uh, and for you, it's, it's moving to Toronto. Mm -hmm. I think for all of us, in order to live our best selves, our best lives, sometimes it often does require us to get to that point where you're like, I've had enough, mm -hmm. enough, enough is enough. I'm going to start living the life that I know I want. No excuses. Yeah. 
but I think it often takes it takes that breaking point. But you're you're past that now. So I, I honestly, I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of Thank you. you. Um, that cultural part, obviously, we we could potentially spend an hour talk, mm-hmm. talking about that uh, on its on its own. But I think everyone comes from a family. Everyone has has cultural influences, and I think that part is super relatable for sure. So in a nutshell, like how how has it been mm-hmm. uh, for you over there? How long have you been there now? A few months? Uh, I think it's just hitting three months. Just three months. Do you have, so do you have a you have a you have a bed yet? Like uh, I don't. Like my mattress is still on the floor. I've honestly, you know, been really busy, and for me, in a in a good in a, way, in or? a good way, uh, for the most part. Okay. For me, like part of this like pursuit of joy, like I am somebody. I don't want to get anything that doesn't bring me joy. So like that, like applies to material things and like the way that I'm like decorating my space. And so I haven't had the time to like look into all the, like it just sucks. Cause I'm just like an overthinker and I'm a researcher. So I want to be able to like find the best that I can for the price and budget that I have. So I haven't been able to get a bed because for one, I haven't put the time into thinking about like what type of bed I want. And then two, like, I just don't want to like waste money on some random shit that doesn't feel remarkable. So there's that. But You know, that actually reminds me of a talk, TED Talk, or this one was a talk at Google that I listened to the other day by a guy called Ramit Sethi. Yeah. Sethi. And he wrote a book as well. And both the talk and the book is titled, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, mm. I think is something like along those lines. And I really love this talk. And I think the book talks about the same thing too. And the reason why his message resonates with a lot of people is because he talks about, everyone talks about how to save money, yeah. right? To get rich and to be wealthy. And he's like, no one talks about how to spend better. And I think one of his main messages that sticks with me is this idea of ask yourself, what kind of spending and expenditure brings you the most joy? What money do you spend that gives you the most joy? Mm-hmm. And to encourage you to, to lean into that, to be unapologetic about that. And I think I mentioned this because I think you're actually doing that really mm-hmm. well. You're, at, you're, you're, you're not just, oh, I need a bed. Let me just buy a bed. You're like, no, fuck no. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to buy a bed that gives me joy. And if it doesn't give me joy, like I'm not. Gonna yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm going to go to this concert. Beyonce gives me joy. It doesn't matter that's $350. This gives me joy. But then on other things that don't give you joy, you're not going to be spending money. Yeah. On it. Some people will be like, well, you just, you need a bed. Pre- you need a bed. Like what kind of adults? And you're like, no. Screw it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend money that doesn't give me joy. I think money is really important. I think my my parents really ingrained that into me. I saw them work hard for, I mean, they're continuing to work hard every single day of their life. And to live the life that I want to live in this economy, <laughs> you know, just requires a, a solid set of finances. And, you know, being here, making this move, living in this incredibly expensive city, like I've had to make adjustments to um, some of my expectations and and that hasn't been fun but I am perfectly okay with waiting it out or building a budget to make my dream bed work so absolutely that resonates with me so after all this time and all these ups and downs and uh, trial and Mm -hmm. errors and I think one thing for sure that I know about you Pri is that you will just you will never settle for mediocrity mediocrity (laughs) You and mediocrity yeah. in, in all forms is like oil and water. And, and I love that about you. I love that about you. It's like, no settling. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, no. I, I did, And I think in a way, I, I'm, I'm surprised 
to hear what you said earlier about how it's not been easy for you to step into the spotlight mm. and go after what you want and you're very accommodating because you have always been someone who will not accept less yeah. than what you want. Yeah, it, it's an interesting observation and it's something that I've thought about a whole lot. And I, I first, I think I want to say, or like, you know, shout out to you because with you, I have always felt that I could just show up authentically. And you have seen me through the changes from like that super career oriented era to like me being in my soft girl era now and all that's happened in between. I have really felt safe and comfortable just to show up as me. And you are somebody I met when I was, I had just left home for the first time and had come back. You were the first person in my life, like I don't mean to get all corny right now, but to ask me what my hobbies and interests were. And so it sounds so like dramatic, but like in your own way, it kind of altered my brain chemistry to, you introduced me to like what type of friendships or people that I can have in my life and made me realize that like what I had been accepting in the past, maybe wasn't actually good enough for me. And so part of like this healing journey that I've been on for the past however many years, like two years ago, I had to reintroduce, like legitimately reintroduce myself to my closest friends who I've been friends with like for over a decade to say, hey, as of like today, like I'm showing up authentically as me and like we're, we're going to see if this works because for the past however many years, like, you know, I am who I am. I've always been true to me to some extent. But in terms of vulnerability and comfort and safety, it hasn't always been there in many of my friendships. And I, I don't blame them for it. It's, it's, it's also how I have shown up to them. Yeah. And so, yeah, like sitting down with my closest friends and saying like, hello, my name is Preet and this is who I am. Like, it's awkward. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, girl, like, yeah, yeah. get over yourself. But like, I had to yeah. do it. And those friendships uh, now too, like are, are stronger than they ever have been. So... Well, I'm so happy that you have found the courage or the, the vulnerability to show up as your authentic self to more people. Mm -hmm. I'm very humbled and grateful that I was able to provide mm -hmm. you that, that space. But yeah, you're, you're walking into your, your true mm -hmm. self. And I know that sounds corny, but... I'm embracing corny. I mean, <laughs> honestly, that, that's, that's what 30s is. Yeah. It is, yeah. right? Like, like 20s is, is when you start realizing, oh, shit, like I need to walk to the rhythm of my mm -hmm. life. And, but it takes time. And I think 30s is when you finally start walking yeah. along your own path. Like, I so appreciate your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of things that you mentioned to have a shared on a, on a public platform is, is not easy. But this is the real shit, yeah. right? Like, and, and it's not just you. You're not, like, I hope you know this, right? Like, you're obviously not alone mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. this. And I think what I, why I wanted to have you share your story is because I'm kind of vicariously looking <laughs> through you. Because a lot of people like myself, do not have the courage to demand better yeah. for themselves. I'm like, oh, I'm in this job. It's, yeah, again, it's not the worst thing. It's just, it's, it's not the perfect job, but like, you know, it pays good and it's comfortable. So, you know, I'll, 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 I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm very happy for about mm -hmm. it. But like, is it possible that I may have a happier life if I tried something new? It is possible, but it, brings me to this quote that uh, Tim Ferriss uh, in, in his book, uh, Four Hour Workweek, he mentions, quote, people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that from your story, you've done that a few times. Yeah. But what makes your story, I think, inspiring for people like me and maybe others is that you did choose uncertainty over unhappiness. And I think that makes you unique. I think a lot of people don't do that. Mm. Like going to Toronto. Yeah. And as you said earlier, you didn't have a job lined up when you made that decision. Mm -hmm. That's fucking terrifying. It was absolutely tearing, <laughs> terrifying. Terrifying. But as you said, I think like you did that in that point because you were at a breaking point. It's terrifying. But like, what is more terrifying? What is more terrifying for you at that point was staying in Vancouver, mm -hmm. keeping the status yeah. quo. That's when we make life changes is when whatever else that we want to do is terrifying. Yes. But as when we find the current status quo, mm -hmm. even more freaking <laughs> terrifying. That's when we're like, okay, yeah, that thing is scary. But what's more scary is dying in my bed. Exactly. Right <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Man. Like, I never really thought about it of like, in that frame, like of me choosing uncertainty every time. But I guess I was. And like, I've always been kind of driven more by, I don't know, I like something greater, kind of knowing my purpose, finding my purpose. And I knew like home wasn't that for me. And, and, you know, over the years, like I wouldn't even commit to buying certain things or painting the wall or like fixing the screw or something. Cause I just, this was, it was always temporary for me and I was in that mindset. And so for me, like, I didn't want to continue living like that. It was miserable. I felt like I wasn't really establishing any roots anywhere. I was just kind of floating and existing in the world with no real grounding. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you to make the move. And more importantly, it's not like, oh, what's the job now, mm -hmm. right? The more important thing is like, hey, you, you have found a healthier relationship yeah. with your job, with your career, and what that means to you. Uh, not letting that single-handedly define your self-worth and not single-handedly be the sole source of validation. Um, hopefully, you're finding that elsewhere mm -hmm. now as well. Just to end, end off, like, is there something that you're doing now, maybe not on a daily basis, but like just generally, what's part of your life now that you're doing that you've found has really helped you stay on a, on a better track and feel better about yourself? Mm -hmm. I know you go on like yeah. walks, for example. Yeah. Um Walking is, is a big one. I try to go walk, like I'm pretty close to the lake. So I just go walk for like an hour at least every day when I can. But for me, for so long, I not really was like, I was going to say I was in hiding, but like I was kind of like living like a recluse. Like I was just in my room all the time because I didn't really have the desire to engage in the world. And so for me, the biggest like game changer, like for being here, I step outside. And that has, hmm. I don't know, transformed my whole world. Like I'll, I'll walk like out outside my lobby or something like, you know, and there's, I find inspiration in the grass or a stone or a building or the architecture or like a butterfly hmm. or a stupid, there's these nasty ass flies out here. Anyways, those are annoying. They don't give me inspiration, but they kind of motivate <laughs> me to like seek out other places because <laughs> like they're all like around the lake. So like now I'm exploring different neighborhoods. I've always been a very curious person and I am now in a place where I can feed that curiosity every single day with minimal effort. And yeah, because you live in the city, in, in this That's city. Why. Yeah, oh, in this city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. It just has what I need. And who knows? Like, maybe it's, it's not forever. 
like maybe there's other cities out there that I'll like better, but like this is great for now. If anyone wants to learn more about you, connect yeah. with you, or just like, do you have an online presence that you want to share or plug? Um, I'm just a regular like Instagram user, passive scroller. But like if, if somebody out there wants to, you know, be my friend or talk to me, it's, uh, yeah, it's P on Instagram. You can P and the letter P. Yeah. And yeah, as in Y-E-A-H. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that. It's, it's such a good uh, it's such a good handle, honestly. <laughs> it's much better than you and David. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of yeah. boring. Remember, mediocrity yeah, exactly. is not for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, David. Um, I, even even as your close friend, like I found this conversation, like hearing your story, so so moving mm. and so touching and so inspirational. Thank you. And so insightful. I don't even know if I necessarily learned too many specific new mm-hmm. things but just in the way that you uh framed everything and and the narrative that you weave i think you have a lot to be proud of and i hope you are i am thank you um and this action you're taking to step into your authentic self to go after what you want yeah i think this is definitely gonna move you in the right direction and, and i i hope nothing but the best uh but you know I, I, having said that there's gonna be like shitty weeks and months ahead. Yeah, you know? like that's yeah, life, two weeks right? ago. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say this, and yeah, I don't want to say this, and and like, for example, if you suddenly have a down phase, be like, oh shit, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. good. I think it's like uh, the other day, I, I I don't watch basketball, but I, I saw this clip of an interview. I can't remember who it was, but it was uh, a player on a team that didn't make the playoffs or something, yeah. and then uh, and, and a reporter asked that player, "Do you think this season was a failure?" And he's like, "Michael Jordan uh, made the finals and championships like X amount of times." Mm-hmm. And there was also X amount of times he mm-hmm. didn't. So do you think those seasons that he didn't make the playoffs were a failure? Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a great response because it's just because there are times where we're not succeeding, quote unquote, succeeding at the height of our potential doesn't mean we're not putting in the work. Yeah. Like championships are made in the days when you're practicing and you're showing up and you're bouncing back. And I just want to mention that because like, as much as I wish, you know, nothing but like amazing days ahead for you, I want you to remember and for all of us to remember that like when there are uh, setbacks, like they're not really setbacks, right? They're just another step in, in our, in our, in our journey. And I know again, very fucking cliche, mm-hmm. but just very true. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a, something that we have to remember, like just cause you're going up now, doesn't mean that it can't go down. And if it does go down, it does not, doesn't mean that it won't go up again. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And I just have to say that was a really great like close, a great way. I think people need to hear that that life has yeah. I mean, we all know that life has its ups and downs. Yeah. But to keep that bigger picture sort of frame in mind is really comforting, I think. Yeah. So And if suddenly uh all the uh you know millennials in, in BC, if they see a, a trend that there has been a spike in people quitting their jobs, not our fault. <laughs> not our fault. <laughs> we we assume no responsibility for that. Nope. <laughs> okay, uh we'll wrap it up there. Thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. I really hope you all enjoyed today's conversation. If you did, It is always appreciated if you could take a moment to share our podcast with your friends, follow us on whichever podcast platform you're using, perhaps give us a rating on Spotify, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Thank you so much for listening and hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you.